0: You're listening to the EU-China podcast powered by the EU-China Hub. Straight from Brussels. A show on which we interview important actors in the EU-China relations and cover the top EU-China news. Our mission is to help you to get a more nuanced picture of what is going on in the EU-China relations. My name is Greg Stets and I'm happy to have you with us. If you like our show, don't forget to subscribe and to tell your friends about us. Let's get started. Hi, here comes the EU-China News Brief for May 11, 2020. In today's news we cover EU Ambassador's op-ed, censored by China Daily China in the Covid world, Beijing's strategic outlook EU-China audit of 2019 goals, report by Rasmussen Global Chinese case in the EU Western Balkans summit China-Europe railways get a boost amid the pandemic. This news brief was produced by Flavian Berniago and Greg Stett. Enjoy! EU Ambassadors op censored by China Daily On May 6, the ambassadors of the 27 member states to China, alongside Nicolas Chapuis, the ambassador of the EU to China, published an opinion piece in China Daily in celebration of 45 years of EU-China diplomatic relations. The opinion piece highlights the mutual assistance between the EU and China in fighting the pandemic and urges China to, quote, join forces to urge a global economic recovery, end of quote. It also calls for the EU and China to undertake a green economic recovery that takes into account climate change. It also indicates that while the EU and China have their differences on human rights, they are both mature partners capable of having frank discussions on this topic. Finally, the article also highlights that the EU and China must maintain cooperation in quote, climate action, peace and security, sustainable development, and upholding the multilateral global order, end of quote. However, the publication of the article was undercut by its censorship by China Daily, a newspaper owned by the publicity department of the Chinese Communist Party. Specifically, the censored portion talked about, quote, the outbreak of the coronavirus in China and its subsequent spread to the rest of the world over the past three months, end of quote. Virginie Batu-Henriksen, the commission's spokesperson on foreign affairs, stated the EU delegation in China was informed that the op-ed's publication and its subsequent censorship could only happen with approval from the Chinese MFA. She further indicated that the EU delegation insisted on the full publication of the article but ultimately agreed to proceed with publishing it in a censored format, quote, with considerable reluctance, end of quote. The EU delegation appears to not have communicated with the Commission or Member States on the censored portion and proceeded with the publication on its own accord. Still, despite the diluted version of the op-ed, China Daily refused to publish it in Chinese. To date, China Daily has not posted a version in Chinese. So what were the reactions of different EU actors involved in this matter? The EU delegation released a statement in which it argued that the decision to publish the op-ed, censored or not, was taken so that the key messages on multiple policy areas could reach a potential audience of over 1 billion people. The delegation indicated that it, quote-unquote, strongly regrets that the original version was not published and indicated they tried to publish it initially in People's Daily, in another newspaper, a request that was also rejected. Moving on to the External Action Service, it stated that, quote, the decision was taken under great time pressure and was not the right one to take. Nonetheless, the External Action Service maintained that Chapuis' expertise on China makes him an asset for the EU, and that he will, quote, continue to have our confidence. Moving on to the European Parliament's Delegation for Relations with the PRC, Reinhard Butikoffer, the chair of the European Parliament's delegation, criticized the EU delegation to China for being too lax and for, quote, accepting Chinese censorship as the right thing to do, end of quote. Butikoffer went as far as requesting for the EU ambassador's resignation if he doesn't recognize his mistake. So what are the takeaways here? First of all, is it one censorship too far? Before this censorship story, the External Action Service had dealt with controversy related to the disinformation report which we covered in our last news brief. Added to the general uneasiness about China and the controversies arising amid COVID-19 and each additional incident supports the case of those in Europe who are calling for a China rethink. But bear in mind that this does not mean fully confronting China or simply allying with the US, as China may think. And we'll return to those dynamics in the second bite. Another takeaway is that it's EU diplomacy. Again, when the External Action Service scandal broke, the general line of External Action Service's response was that it was diplomacy as usual and the press had approached the issue with a quote-unquote hidden agenda this time around, the rhetoric is that the censoring of the article is unfortunate and that, according to External Action Service, the decision was not the right one to take. But there was no clear statement of it being a mistake on the side of the EU delegation. So both controversies, this one and the one related to the disinformation report, lack a proper acknowledgement of the mishandling of the situation, which is a worrisome trend given that China's nationalist rhetoric is unlikely to slow down. For things to change, mistakes must be acknowledged. And finally, we have to ask ourselves a question. What was the plan here? There seem to be two surprising decisions here. Attempting to run a message not aligned with the official party-state narrative in party-state-run media, and trying to reach and affect opinions of a potential audience of more than 1 billion readers, with an article not published in the Chinese version of the China Daily. But there might have been reasons for those decisions that we are just not aware of. But censorship aside, the opinion piece painted a pretty rosy picture of EU-China cooperation passing over controversies in the relationship. Naturally, this is a celebratory piece for the anniversary of diplomatic relations, printed in the press of the receiving party state. Nevertheless, a question arises, should such language be used to manage a relationship described in the 2019 EU-China Strategic Outlook as, among others, a systemic rivalry? After all, the delegation turned to this language, the one from the Strategic Outlook, in its defensive response after the controversy. Of course, it is important to build a cooperation framework and dynamic for the EU-China relations, especially amid COVID-19, when we need multilateral responses. But can a censored opinion piece help with that? China in the COVID world. Beijing's strategic outlook. On May 4th, news emerged of a report written by the China Institutes of Contemporary International Relations, an influential think tank connected to China's Ministry of State Security. The report was allegedly later presented by the Minister of State Security to top officials, including President Xi Jinping. The paper argues that global hostility towards China has increased to levels unseen since the 1989 Tiananmen crackdown. Hostilities are guided by US-China relations being at their worst point in decades. Reuters agency that reported on the story compared this to the Novikov Telegram, a 1946 telegram sent to the Kremlin by the Soviet ambassador in Washington, stressing the dangers of deteriorating relations between the two sides. The principal consequences evoked are growing hostility towards the Belt and Road Initiative, financial and military support from Washington for China's regional rivals, and in the worst-case scenario, armed confrontation. While it is unclear whether this is Beijing's main foreign policy stream, it shows the general feeling of the presence of a Cold War mentality, something China has long criticized in its official statements. And looking at it from the European viewpoint – as the US and China have become more combative in controlling the narrative of the pandemic, Europe has become the battleground of a propaganda war. According to the EU's ambassador in China, Nicolas Chapuis, quote, These tensions are not conducive to the cooperative spirit we need today, End of quote. Chinese diplomats have spread false claims, mocked liberal democracies, and attempted to pressure European officials to shine a positive light on China, as we reported in our past news briefs. At the same time, the US has been pushing the EU to back an international investigation, but Brussels is wary of claims from Washington that the virus originated in a lab in Wuhan. According to Janka Oertel, the director of Asia Programme at the European Council on Foreign Relations, this behavior may be the combined result of panic, anger and calculation. When it comes to panic, the CCP is wary of facing criticism over its handling of the pandemic and uses nationalism as a tool to bury the truth and maintain domestic stability. Anger would relate to China's leaders being angry with Washington for insisting the virus came from a Chinese lab, which makes Europe a collateral victim of being a US ally. When it comes to calculation, China may simply see Europe's weakness amid the pandemic and act strategically to become more influential in Europe at a time when the EU member states don't act with unity. Also, some recent statements from the Chinese Ministry of Foreign Affairs seem to validate the assessment that China views Europe through a with-us-or-against-us mindset. Chinese Ministry of Foreign Affairs spokesperson Hua Chunying stated Europe's choice is not between the US and China, but between unilateral bullying and multilateral cooperation. Hua argued that the US is asking its allies to frame China, and it pointed to the EU's pledging conference as a good example of multilateralism. It therefore raises question why did Chinese Premier Li Keqiang decided not to participate at the very last moment and China decided not to make a financial pledge during the event. So what are the takeaways here? First of all, we see the emergence of Cold War mentality and once again, the Tukididis trap is back. The report described by Reuters shows that it is likely that Chinese leadership sees itself being in a Cold War-like situation. This is not particularly new, given that Beijing's rhetorical arsenal has long included criticizing the Cold War mentality, but it seems that now the leadership may be led to believe that mending ties with Washington seems hardly possible. This is not good news for the EU. A steep ideological drift would make it harder for Brussels to maintain constructive relations with both the US and China, and also sustain global multilateralism. At the same time, do not take things at face value. This was probably not an uncontrolled leak. After all, the report was drafted at the beginning of April. Beijing may be trying to communicate its uneasiness with the situation in the context of wolf warrior diplomacy, and this may be a call for de-escalation. And that leads us to another takeaway, which is that the CCP is now feeling defensive on multiple fronts. We discussed the challenge of the economic pressure in one of our past news briefs, where we alluded to the Ford china mentality. Given that this is paired with international pressures, the CCP may turn to greater usage of ideology domestically. As such, we may see further tightening of the ideological screw, and remember the launch of Patriotic Education Campaign in 1991, and more diplomatic messaging aimed at pleasing domestic nationalists. EU-China Audit of 2019 Goals, report by Rasmussen Global On 12th of March 2019, as part of the famous EU-China Strategic Outlook, the EU adopted 10 action points for the relationship with China, with a delivery date of one year. Rasmussen Group drafted an assessment on the implementation success of these 10 points. The 2019 strategic outlook's importance and consequently its implementation is huge. It marked the first time the EU categorized China as, among others, a systemic rival. But the overall conclusion of the Rasmus and Globals report is that the EU has not been able to change China's standing on economic and foreign policy matters. And cooperation in international matters has either stalled or worsened as a result of China's UN vetoes on human rights resolutions. The biggest missing piece is the comprehensive agreement on investments, while the biggest success is the common policy the EU drafted on 5G rollout, which addresses the Huawei question. So the report categorizes the development of the 10 action points according to three criteria. Achieved, partially achieved or failed. When it comes to achieved, we can deal with that pretty quickly. It is the common EU approach to the security of 5G networks. When it comes to partially achieved goals, they include Calling on China to explicitly pledge it will reach peak emissions before the 2030 deadline of the Paris Agreement. Applying the EU's bilateral agreements and financial instruments to preserve its interests in partner countries and work with China on the EU's strategy on connecting Europe and Asia. Producing a more balanced trade relationship through an investment agreement, WTO reform and geographical indicators. Addressing anti-competitive behavior by Chinese firms by focusing on the EU public procurement market. And finally, having member states adopt FDI screening mechanisms similar to those prescribed by the Commission. And moving on to the four failed goals. The first one, strengthening cooperation with China on human rights, peace and security and development. Second, deepening collaboration with China on peace and security according to the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action model. Third, Adopting the International Procurement Instrument by the European Parliament and Council by the end of 2019. And finally, fourth, filling gaps in EU law to address the negative impact of foreign state ownership and financing in the common market. Of course, this is just an outline, and we encourage you to review the full report, a link to which you can find on our website. So, as the saying goes, a good plan is half of the success. Well, in this case, it rather seems like one-tenth of it. The EU's strategic outlook categorizing China as a systemic rival made quite a fuss, but one year on, it appears that the EU is struggling to implement its agenda. The case of the 10 action points should be studied in a time when China rethink seems to be on the horizon. Only one-tenth of the goals could be achieved in the period when China was less confrontational than it is now. So there is a need to properly plan and execute adjustment of the dynamic in the relationship and arguably even more important, within the EU itself. Chinese case in the EU Western Balkans Summit On May 6th, EU leaders, the leaders of the 27 EU member states and the heads of Serbia, Kosovo, Montenegro, Bosnia, Albania and North Macedonia met in Zagreb for the EU Western Balkans Summit. The dominating topics were strategies on overcoming the COVID-19 pandemic and its economic repercussions. The Balkans' European perspective was confirmed, but the word enlargement did not make it to the final communiqué, probably as not to give any signals to Turkey. The summit comes at a time when reactions to Chinese medical aid antagonized relations between Brussels and Belgrade. It also comes at a time when social media disinformation from Chinese and Russian bots spread like wildfire in the Western Balkans. The clear message of the summit was that the Western Balkans should acknowledge that EU, quote, support and cooperation goes far beyond what any other partner has provided to the region, end of quote. A clear nod to Chinese and Russian activity in the region. The final communique, Urged the Balkans to, quote, progress towards full alignment with EU foreign policy positions, notably on issues where major common interests are at stake, and to act accordingly, end of quote. Even Serbia's president, Aleksandar Vucic, fell in line. He issued a statement on May 6th in which he said he is grateful for EU's help. Vucic said, We are on the European road and we want to organize our country in line with European standards and rules. Financially, the European Commission put down a 3.3 billion euros support package, including a 1.7 billion euros assistance package from the European Investment Bank and 750 million euros in macro financial assistance. So the takeaway here is that medical aid from Beijing, disinformation campaign, and Vucic's rebellious quote, European solidarity does not exist, and of quote statements, had made seem as if Beijing was gaining the upper hand in the Balkans. Nonetheless, the Balkans, and Eastern Europe as a region, are historically the EU's most successful case of normative foreign policy. Even if it's going to take a long time for the Balkans to access the EU, it seems that their strategic trajectory remains set on the membership, despite tactical moves leveraging relations with China. And that also shows an opportunistic approach to relations with China, The change of stance by Vucic showed that the foreign policy with China can be treated as a tool for putting pressure on the EU or causing uneasiness in Brussels, but it does not necessarily constitute a shift of strategy away from Europe. Perhaps Vucic got the message sent by the exclusion of Serbia from the 3 billion euros favorable loans mechanism announced by the EU for its neighborhood partners on April 22nd, which we discussed in one of our past news briefs. China-Europe railways get a boost amid the pandemic China's exports grew slightly in April, but anemic supply chains have altered cargo transportation methods. In April, China's exports grew by 3.5%, but imports fell by 14.2%. The exports figure beat expectations of an 11% shrinkage, but the broader picture tells us that lockdowns in Europe and North America are taking their toll on China's external demand, and a greater demand shock may yet come. The fall in imports tells us that the domestic demand is still weak, most likely driven by unemployment and low consumption patterns. But taking a more global picture, weaker demand has also made rail freight an attractive method of cargo transportation compared to sea and air freight. Trade by Sea is expected to run at just 20-30% to 30% capacity in the coming months as the main east-west trade routes experience 250-350% to 350% higher rates of blank sailings than normal. For air freight, both transit times and rates have skyrocketed, and currently the rates stand at a level 300% higher than last year. The big winner is the China-Europe rail a network of over 30 lines that go through Central Asia and connect China with Europe. These networks are heavily subsidized by Beijing and outbound Chinese provinces, and it makes them a of transport that is cheaper than air travel, but faster than sea travel. However, rail freight cargo transportation from China does not come without problems. For example, in August 2019, the China-Europe Railway Express was found to be carrying significant amounts of empty cargo containers to Europe. This had to do with political reasoning, as the rail freights had to be painted as a successful part of the Belt and Road Initiative. Local governments received subsidies to lower the cost of their freight services, so they could compete with sea freight and increase BRI's visibility. Companies running rail routes to Europe found themselves in competition with each other for visibility with each circumventing subsidy ceiling regulations to attract more businesses. To look better and boost indicators, these railway service companies increased the number of trips they took, even when they had very little to transport. But COVID-19 is bringing rail cargo transportation back into the spotlight. Amid the pandemic, 95% of international flights that used to carry half of the freight transported by air stopped operating. Also, many cargo ships have seen their capacity decrease drastically. Consequently, trade from Asia to Europe has become more reliant on the railways. In April, operators opened a significant number of new routes from Jinan to Hamburg, from Xi'an to Warsaw, from Hefei to Duisburg, and from Xi'an to Linz, among others. freight rates for trains hover around 24 cents per kilogram, by contrast cargo sent by air to Frankfurt now hovers around $1, down from $3 in March. According to the China State Railway Group, freight trains from China to Europe reached a record high in April, part of the reason behind that seems to be a huge amount of medical supplies transported to Europe. And in this context, we cannot exclude political reasoning for choosing rail cargo transportation. But the wider takeaway here is that this is a short-term boost, not long-term solution. Amid the pandemic, the railway does offer an attractive alternative, but this is likely going to be a temporary change. While this may create new supply chains based on usage of China-Europe rail cargo, this may recede once the situation returns closer to how it was before the pandemic so the question of the sustainability of the China-Europe railway remains valid. It will be interesting to observe the, so far somewhat sluggish, progress of joint EU-China research into sustainable railway-based transport corridors between Europe and China as part of the EU-China connectivity platform. And that's it for this week's EU-China News Brief. Stay safe and see you next time. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the EU China Podcast. If you want to know more or to get in touch with us, visit our website, which is euchinahubwrittenjointly.com. And if you find this show insightful, be sure to leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. It will help others to get to know about us. See you next time.